I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they came to see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Let me pray. Loving Father, we ask now that as we look at your word, that you would help us understand more about who you are and help us to understand what it is that your son Jesus prayed to you for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said in 2016 that disunity is death. As we've seen from his political career, his prediction was painfully accurate. In times of crisis, it is easy for a team to lose focus and even to begin to turn on itself. When sales fall or enrolments drop or polls crash, or games are lost, uh, then the unity that the business or the school or the political party or that team has can easily erode. A group that once enjoyed unity and fellowship ends up in fighting and division. Now sometimes a crisis will bring a group of people closer together, but sometimes a crisis will lead a group to fall apart. In Matthew's Gospel, after Jesus' final meal, he said to his disciples, Tonight all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. It's a pretty damning kind of prediction by Jesus, isn't it, really? But I mean, already at this point, Jesus' team of 12 had become only 11 because Judas had left the meal to execute his betrayal. And, and as the ripples of this dastardly deed began to form massive waves, uh, it ended up destabilising and, and in fact causing a massive rift there in the calm waters of the disciples. And so then when Jesus told Peter that he would soon deny him three times, Peter replied, No! Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. It seemed that maybe Jesus was just being a little bit over the top, maybe a bit of hyperbole. I mean, surely all 11 of them wouldn't desert Jesus like that. But after Jesus was denied three times by Peter, we read in verse 75 that suddenly Jesus' words flashed through his mind. 
before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Jesus' predictions were coming true. And the unity of the disciples was eroding. The unity of the disciples was eroding. And then Jesus was executed. And he died. And the disciples were shocked. You know, even though Jesus predicted it, they still couldn't fathom it. And so if his death was the end of Jesus' story, then I'd say we wouldn't actually be here today on this Easter weekend. I mean, many fine men and women have been martyred throughout history. And if Good Friday was the end of Easter, then Jesus' name would just be one of many other heroes. But we gather this Easter weekend because we believe that Christ has died, but also that Christ has risen, and also that Christ will come again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And this changes everything. For Jesus was not just a political or a religious martyr. He is the saviour of the world. And this is a truth that's worth uniting behind. But even with such an earth-shattering message, it seems that the sheep of the good shepherd remain scattered. Because even in this little village of Jamboree, there are at least three different churches gathering this weekend to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Even though we agree about the significance of Jesus and the significance of Easter, we don't gather in the same house of worship to remember and celebrate the event. There is a lack of unity amongst Christians. There's a disunity amongst us and it is unfortunate. Disunity amongst Christians is unfortunate. It would be so much better if we could all gather as one. And this is something worth praying for. And it should come as no surprise that this in fact was at the heart of Jesus' prayer on the night before he died. Because in the final seven verses of John 17, we hear the last words that Jesus spoke to his father in that famous prayer. In the previous two talks, we've heard Jesus pray for his glorification. And then last week, we read about how he prayed for his disciples. Today, he prays for us. And at the heart of his prayer today is a prayer for us to know and live out the unity and, and to share that unity with him and with the Father. He wants Christians to experience that deep unity that we then can show that to the world. And that unity, that oneness, comes from people who believe the same one message. Well, in this final section of the prayer, we see that Jesus prays for all believers. Verse 20, we read, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying this prayer to his father, but he's deliberately wanting these first disciples to hear him say it so that they can write it down in the Bibles so that 2,000 years later we here in the village of Jamboree can be understanding what we are like and what God is like. And he says in this prayer that he's praying firstly for his 11 disciples, the one that he's just had his last meal with. But he's also praying for us. He's praying for us who will believe in him 
through the message of those 11 disciples. See, the way that you and I get to be a believer in Jesus is by believing. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? Believers believe, right? But it's worth pointing out. And what it is that we believed is the message of the disciples. We became believers by believing the disciples' message. The way that we know Jesus is through that message of the disciples. And we trust Jesus by believing that message, that word of God. Now, this way of knowing God is very different to a lot of other religions. I mean, some, of, some religions, particularly Eastern religions, uh, will encourage people to sort of close their eyes and ears and just sort of meditate on the spiritual world or the, whatever is in their mind and, or wo- empty the mind or, or however that works. But in the end, they worship the product of their own imagination. But God the Father has sent his son Jesus to the world and his words and his works have been recorded for our sake in the Bible. And now by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we're able to know Jesus by hearing this message, this message from the disciples. And it's this message that must bring us together. It's not a message that we can make up for ourselves It's not a message that we can modify when we're under pressure. It's not a message that we can change to fit our culture. It's a message that we were given from the disciples by Jesus. And it's the basis for our belief. This message is the basis for our belief. Now, I love unity. But the only way that we can have a genuine unity is when... People agree on basic beliefs. About three weeks ago, I had my regular haircut with my Muslim barber, Sam. Sam's a pretty devout Muslim. Uh, And I'm pretty devout as a Christian. You might have picked that. We have a genuine respect for each other. I've been going to Sam now for five or six years. And uh, we have lots and lots of chats about Christianity and Islam and things like that. Uh, Well, a couple of weeks ago, it was a bizarre circumstance. I was there with Hugo and Oscar, and we were there getting our hair cut, and nobody else was in the room except just Sam and this other woman who was also cutting one of the other boys' hairs. Anyway, we're chatting, and we're chatting, and we're chatting, and we get to talk about what Muslims believe about the crucifixion of Jesus. And the bottom line is they don't believe that Jesus actually died. They believe that Jesus wasn't killed and that he was taken straight up to heaven. And he went on and explained all these different things. He he knows his Quran really well. He goes regularly to the place of prayer and hears though the imams give the message. He's a keen, keen Muslim and I respect him enormously for that. And we've developed quite a a nice friendship. We have good laughs together. He's a good bloke. Uh, But as we got to this point, it was very, very clear that we have a different view of the cross of Christ. A very, very different view. Sam said that Muslims don't think Jesus died on the cross. And that's the opposite of what we believe. Now, Sam and I have a warm friendship. And as I leave his barbershop, I give him a big Mediterranean hug kind of thing. We, we get on super well, Sam and me. And uh, we, he's a great guy. But even though we have this, this respect for each other and, and, a, and a care for each other, we cannot share unity because we believe different things about Jesus very, very different things about Jesus. And so we can't have that unity. 
We have a warm respect, but cannot enjoy unity. His holy books mentions many of the people and the events of our book. He went through them one by one. Abraham, Isaac, and we were hearing all these things. But even though he believes in a divine being and future judgment and something like heaven and hell, he is on a different page and we cannot have that same unity. The same is true with others who say that they believe in Jesus but have distorted his message. Christian cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they claim to worship Jesus. And so you've got the, the Mormon church, is called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I mean, they use his name in their title. And yet the message that they believe about Jesus is a deep distortion of who he is and what he has done. Sadly, there are other people in mainstream Christian denominations who have also distorted the message of Jesus and the disciples to the point that they worship a different Jesus to the one in the Bible. Jesus is going to pray for unity in a moment, but we've got to realise that unity can only exist in truth. You can only be unified when you agree about the same key things. We can only unite around the true Christ, not a distortion. See, if people believe that Jesus is not God, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, then they worship a completely different Jesus and we cannot be unified with them. If people believe that we must do good works in order to be saved by Jesus, then at the end of the day, those people worship a different Jesus. And they believe radically different things about the crucifixion. And for that reason, we cannot be truly unified with them. And if people believe that Jesus is not concerned with the moral behaviour of, of his believers, you know, that, that you become a follower of Jesus and then you can live exactly like the world lives in every single way, then we cannot be truly unified with them either. Our unity needs to be based on a common truth. And that common truth is the message of the disciples that is recorded in the Bible. It's the message of the disciples that we now believe. And so with that in mind, Jesus now prays for us. He prays for you and he prays for me. We, his true believers. Verse 21, he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Jesus wants all true believers to be one. He wants us to enjoy unity. I think it's a great thing to pray. Because it's what we all deep down really, really want, isn't it? But what's the unity actually like? Well, it's far more than just surface unity. It's not like you get together anybody that says anything remotely interesting about Jesus and you put on the same t-shirt and you say, hey, we're all unified, uh, that's not going to work. So Jesus says that our unity with each other needs to be like the unity that the Father has with him, that the Son has with the Father, that the Father has with the Son. And this is a deep unity in the Trinity, the triunity. The, the unity he wants us to have as believers with each other is akin to the same unity that he has with his father. And I've got to say, it doesn't get any closer than that. But Jesus doesn't want us just to be like the unity of the Trinity. He actually wants us to be actually united with the Trinity. 
This is mind-blowing, really, the more you get, get your head around this. He is praying that we would be swept up with him to be part of the Godhead. We are to be fully part of God. Can you imagine what it must have been like for those disciples sitting there on the night before Jesus died and Jesus has spilled the beans on all this stuff that's going to happen to him on the first Good Friday and he says, I am now going to pray and he prays in their hearing and he says in this that he wants them to be part of his relationship with the Father. I mean, it, they must have gone, wow. I've heard this a number of times and I still go, wow. But to be there the first time, it would have been truly mind-blowing. But the reason he wants us to do this is not just because it would be awesome. He actually has a specific purpose for it. And that purpose is, it, is to be evangelistic. Have a look at the second half of verse 21. He says, And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Interesting, isn't it? The reason Jesus wants us to have true unity is not actually for your sake or my sake, as good as it is. It's not so we can sort of enjoy a nice big group hug and, and have this lovely time together. It's so that the people of the world will believe that the Father sent the Son to the earth. Our unity is so that the world knows that Jesus is the Son of God. And our unity with other true believers gives this a deep authenticity in a world that is hostile to Jesus. The world hates Jesus. But when it sees that we are unified, it says, hmm, maybe it is true that the Father did send Jesus as his son. And as we know the genuine Jesus, however, we experience something even more. Verse 22, we read that Jesus says, I have given them, the disciples, the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. By knowing the true Christ, we read here that we get his glory. Now, he was praying for his glory before, right? Yeah. Lord, I'm, Father, I'm going to give you glory. You give me glory and all that stuff. And we get swear. He's saying we will receive glory too. If you, The way that the Father glorified the Son on earth was the way that we, was by doing all the amazing things that he did. So, for example, we saw how he turned water into wine and how he walked on water or he brought a dead man back to life. These were things that showed us the glory, showed the disciples and now us the glory of Christ. But as they grew in their relationship with Jesus, they experienced more and more of his glory because they heard what he said about himself and they heard what he said about his relationship with his heavenly father. And so as Jesus revealed himself, he revealed his glory. As he revealed himself, he revealed his glory. And that glory was seen most powerfully, of course, on the day that he, after he prayed this prayer. For at the cross, the crux of his character and mission were revealed for all to see. And as the disciples truly knew Jesus... They then received his glory. And this glory they received from Jesus unified them. 
It's kind of like a group of people who have gone through a catastrophe, stuck in a room together. You know, you have this common experience that you've gone through and it unites you in a powerful way. That is sort of kind of what has happened with these guys, but it's not so much the event, it's the person. And as they've experienced his glory, we read that it unified them in a special way. And picking up what he's already said, Jesus again shows why this unity matters so much to our public identity as Christians. Verse 23 says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus wants us to experience perfect unity with each other. And he wants us to experience that so that the world will know that Jesus is the Son of God. But there's more to it. Can you see it here? He wants us to have unity so that we will know the Father's love. We will know the Father's love as we experience this unity together. When we enjoy the unity that comes from knowing the glory of Jesus, we know the glory of Jesus, we then through that know the Father's love for us. It's a great delight to feel unity. There's something amazing when a whole group of people have this same mind about things and have a fellowship in that cause. It is a good thing. It's also a good thing that we have the Westminster system of government. I wonder if you thought about that. It's actually based on conflict, isn't it? You've got an opposition whose job it is to try and keep opposing the stuff that the other guys say. They're actually there to try and hold the government to account. But even though there's that conflict there, they exist for the same reason that the government does, and that is they have this conflict so that there will be the best possible leadership of the country. So that conflict's good, right? But even though it is healthy, there is something special that happens when you see the televising of Parliament, when they come together for a particular purpose. Uh, Maybe it's because they make a decision that the, the whole nation is unified about, and they come together over something positive. Or maybe they come together because of something negative, a, a war threat that leads them to form a war cabinet where there's no longer an opposition, but there's just a unity of the best of the best leading the most important portfolios. When they all come together, there must be some buzz that goes around Canberra when they're all focused on this one thing at this one time. And I think that what we see here is that when Christians enjoy a deep unity with each other, we actually, through that, get to experience something supernatural, and that is the love of the Father. Interesting, isn't it? When we are one, we feel the love of God. When we're one, we feel the love of God. Uh, Next weekend, I'm going to be introducing you to my old friend Cameron Jones. Uh, We were at youth group together for many years and then we were at uni together for a number of years as well. Uh, He and his wife Alex are about to plant a new church in Dublin in a few months' time. Uh, Mandy and I met Cameron and his wife Alex last year in Jerusalem at the GAFCON conference. Now even though we've known each other for years, we haven't really chatted for decades. And to, to bump into him and his wife over there was just awesome. Why were we over there? 
Well, we were there because many Anglicans around the world have wandered from the truth about Jesus. They are peddling a message that is different to the message of the disciples about Jesus. And because there is not that unity of message, there is not a unity of community. We can't enjoy unity in worldwide Anglicanism whilst a number of leaders represent a Jesus that is different to the Bible. That's why we went to Jerusalem last year. We went to clarify and declare the heart of the Bible's teaching about God and humans. And as we stood together as very diverse Anglicans, we had a deep unity in the truth. And it brought great joy, I can tell you. And I think that was an example of us experiencing the love of the Father as we had that unity together. But you know, Jesus prayed for even more than that. He prayed even more than for the deep love of the Father. He prayed that we would see him in his heavenly glory. Verse 24, we read, he prayed, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. He is praying to his Father this because he wants him to be, he wants to be seen by us in the place that he was before he came to us. And he, I've got to say, I've, I've had to work really hard to try and work out this connection between our experience of the Father's love and the glory of Christ. But it seems here that when we are able to see what Jesus was like in heaven before he came to us and what he is like now as he is exalted then we will get a taste of his glory that will blow our mind. I mean, we thought it was amazing that he could call out to Lazarus and Lazarus would come out of the tomb alive when he'd been dead for days. But there is a glory that will exceed even that. And when we experience that, we will be blown away by that privilege as we're swept up by God's grace into the very heart of the universe. And as we do that, we'll be blown away by God's love. So he's prayed that we would be unified. He's prayed that we would know his glory. And now he makes it clear about the differences between believers and the world. We're nearly coming up to the end now. Verse 25, we read he prays, oh, we, we, we see that he prayed for us to see him in his heavenly glory. He prayed for us to see him in his heavenly glory. And having prayed that, we look at verse 25. He says, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. He now reminds us that there are two groups of people. There are those who believe the true message of Jesus, and then there's the world. Two different groups. Even though we are part of a common humanity, Jesus says that his believers are no longer part of the world. See, as we heard last week, when Jesus speaks here of the world... He's speaking of the people who stand against him and his believers. Because ultimately, the world doesn't know the Father. The world doesn't know the Father. And the world that he's talking about is represented by the people who the next day were to crucify him. They didn't believe Jesus was the one sent by the Father. They rejected Jesus and went on to persecute his followers. 
But it didn't stop the disciples truly knowing that Jesus was sent by the Father. And this is what Jesus continues to reveal to his disciples. Final verse, 26. He says, I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. So Jesus says that he's revealed the Father to the disciples and Jesus says he's going to keep doing that. Jesus keeps making his identity clear to his believers and he keeps bringing them as his Father to them. And through that, the love of the Father goes to the believers. I wonder how you feel about all of that. It's quite amazing to see that we are swept up into the love of the Father in this way. And we end up being caught up in it all. We have this genuine unity of spirit, a unity that is in fact a unity with Christ. And so we see here that we are truly united with Christ. We are truly united with Christ by faith. The Apostle Paul talked about this quite a bit. Uh, he often talked about Christians as being those who are in Christ. Those in Christ. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, he says, We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And Peter would do the same thing. He finished his first letter by saying, Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. See, in order for us to be one with Jesus, it means that we are in him. We are in Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Christ and that we are in him unified. And through that we experience a profound unity that is beyond any kind of giant big crusade or group hug or something like that. We have a deep unity of being with the Son in Christ who brings us into the Trinity in that sense. It's a deep spiritual unity between believers. And when we express that unity, there is great joy. This weekend, we gather to remember the miracle of the empty tomb. We come together as people who believe that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. And we are unified in our belief that we who are in Christ will rise with him. We who are in Christ will rise with him. And so with all the saints who are in Christ, we long for the day, 1 Corinthians 15, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die. When this scripture will be fulfilled, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Let me pray. We thank you, Jesus, so much for praying these words to your Father. And we thank you, Father, that what he has prayed you have made come true. We thank you for the deep unity that we have in Christ. And we thank you, Father, that we experience the fullness of your glory in Christ. And we ask that we would experience this so that the world would know that you sent your Son. And that as we experience this, we would know more and more the depth of your love for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.